Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. If you talk to somebody who told you that through their career working for the government, they had moved every few years to a new new location, worked their way up from an entry-level job to a higher-level job to a high-level management job, uh, you might think that they were in the military. But not my guest this week. My guest this week is Bob Flores. Bob worked for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for his whole career. And he moved from place to place to place, many of them fabulous national wildlife refuges, managed quite a few of those refuges until he became a district manager towards the end of his career. But in the process of doing that, all of the time being a birder, and you'll hear his birding story, he got to see some pretty doggone fabulous places and have some great experiences. So I'm really excited for you to hear the story of Bob Flores, his career, and his birding stories on the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 120. Can you believe I had 120 guests on this show? It's really getting to be fun. I feel like uh, it's an accomplishment. I'm pretty happy about that. And so we're going to start off the new year with a really fun episode with Bob Flores on the Bird Banner Podcast. Help me welcome Bob. Bob, thanks for being on the podcast with me today. How are you doing? Doing great. Uh, I actually feel a little humbled that you actually picked me to, to talk about well, I yeah, I don't think you feel humbled at all. I've always, I mean, I've always thought of you as one of the top Washington birders since I've uh, known of and about you. Not that I've got a chance to bird with you very much. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I consider myself a good birder. I don't, I don't consider myself one of the top birders in, in, uh, in Washington by no, no means. I mean, I, you know, people like Ryan Merrill, you know, Charlie Rye. Uh, Steve Milano, when he worked, when he lived here, he's obviously in Colorado now. Yeah. Um, to me, those guys were top birders. I was a good bird, you know, um, yeah. but I don't think I would ever put myself in that class with those guys. Those guys are good. But there are some uh, people with superpowers, you know, like uh, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie Wright, Will Brooks and those guys, you know, they're just on yeah. a different, different uh, yeah. level, level of playing yeah. field, but that's, that's all good. Yeah, I, I had I had way too many uh, uh, hobbies. I guess is a good way to put it. You know, those guys they, they concentrate on the birds. I mean, mm -hmm. you know that that's their life pretty much. Um, I love birds. You know, it, it's something that I have loved for a long time, and I always knew that as my life kind of moved on and and grew that birding would probably always be there and all my other hobbies would shift. And it's true. It's been true for me. It, it actually has been true. And, and I think the reason for that, and, you know, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here is that uh, birding is just so portable. No matter where you go, no matter where you are, no matter what the circumstances, even when you're not even birding or birding, Absolutely. I, a story like a, I used to hate going to the beach, you know, before I was a birder, you know, my, my wife or kids, they, they want to go to the beach. I go, Oh God, I just don't like lying in the sand and getting sunburned and the water up here in Washington. is so cold. You can't even go in it. Who would want to go to the beach? And now I go, yeah, yeah I'll go to the beach. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. A lot of my uh, trips, I, I do a lot of uh, uh, traveling around with my wife and I really don't try to make birding a central focus. Usually, if it is a central focus, she's not with me. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but I'm always looking, and I'm always taking notes, and I'm always, you know, doing that. Yeah, I think it's just part of the birder's DNA. Almost, it's just you, exactly. you can't you can't not notice the birds. Right, exactly. Bob. You said you have you said you have other hobbies off and on. Tell me about some of those. Oh, oh well. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a sports fanatic. I, I, I watch a, a way too much soccer. Um, I, I'm, of course, a, a, a 49ers fan. I shouldn't say, oh, of course. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But, but, but I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan and a Gonzaga basketball fan. And I watch a lot of that. But I also like make beer. Um, I used to be a, a very avid hunter and fisherman. I'm mm -hmm. not anymore. I, I haven't done it for quite, well, for several years now anyway. But uh, that's actually how my birding started was through, through my hunting and fishing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have way too many things. I have grand, two grandsons. They 
take a, a lot of my matter of fact most recently a lot of my time and it's really cut into my birding as well <laughs> yeah although my one grandson who lives close here uh has started really picking it up and and he's actually amazing he has amazing eyes so i i take credit for that and then uh but he really knows how to use a pair of binoculars that's what's very so amazing. good yeah very i taught cool. him how to use a pair of binoculars and he is good how old is he now bob he is seven very cool Six. no i I learned so, I learned something about optics for kids. I had uh, oh, can't even remember. One of my guests early on was uh, was a uh, optics guy with Eagle Optics for years, and then he went on to other other uh, uh, you know careers. But he uh, he turned me on to uh, Kawa, the new children's Kawa optics. Uh, they have these oh. binoculars, binoculars specially designed. For children, there were two uh, guys who worked at Kawa who had young kids, and they, you know, none of the binos were right for them. They, they, the eyes yeah. pieces wouldn't go close enough together. They were too yes. hard to too hard to focus. You had to spin it two or three times to get focused and everything. And they made optics that are ergonomically and otherwise perfect for kids. And I bought I've bought several pair for children, and they are really nice binoculars. They're oh, right. the, the Kawa six thirties. Are the ones to get for kids you know kids don't need six by 30 uh oh, six by 30 yeah they're six 30. power they're six power yeah. and their uh, the exactly. front lens is 30 and so they right. have the right ratio and yet kids don't need eight power they, they've got super wow. eyes the six power is more than enough and they have a great field of vision they focus in about three quarters of one turn all the way from really near to really far they kind of rubberize you can throw them against the wall they don't break and yet they've got coated optics they're just in the 100 bucks they're really nice uh, bins. Right. Yeah. really nice but I, I bought them for uh two of my uh, grandchildren, uh, girlfriend's grandchildren, and a couple of other kids I've got them for. They just, they're so easy to use and, and they're really nice bins for a hundred bucks. Wow. Huh. I, I wrote it down. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. So I think, I think right now, I think he has, um, I think he has some Bushnells right now, but, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. but yeah, I'm always looking for something easier and also to have extra pair around. And they're good enough bins to kind of stick in the car and bang around with. You can, I mean, you know, yeah. a birder would not go, oh my God, I can't look through these things. They hurt my eyes. They're not bad. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, kind of off topic there, but I thought yeah. I'd throw that in since you're talking about uh, yes. birding, with a, birding with a grandchild. So Bob, you have had a long career with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Uh, mm -hmm. And I used to, are you retired now or are you still working? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been retired uh, about six and a half years now oh okay so just about the same for me i've been about five yeah. years more or less but anyway uh tell me about your career and some of the okay. uh work you did with birds and other things it sounds like a fat we talked real briefly before we started recording sounds like a terrific job and a terrific career actually yeah you know i mean i was lucky um and uh i i, I worked in national wildlife refuges for pretty much all my career with fish and wildlife service um, prior to that, I worked for the state of California, mostly on uh, temporary jobs, working on waterfowl down in uh, the Central Valley of California and on black bears up in the uh, Trinities, uh, Trinity Mountains in California. And then I went to work for the feds at full time and, and I started my career in Florida. And so this is all part of the birding thing, right? So sure. I in all states and all these places and it's really pushed me along. Uh, I, I started out my career in Florida at Loxahatchee National Wildlife Refuge, and then I moved over to uh, Decatur um, and went. I was at uh, a refuge there in Decatur, Alabama, uh, and then I went, to, which was Wheeler, by the way, mm -hmm. and then I moved to Montana, to uh, Roy, Montana, and I was at Charles M. Russell National Wildlife Refuge out in the middle of nowhere. Really? And, Oh, yeah, birding there was something because when you found something, you know, your nearest birder was two and a half hours away. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't like you were going to call somebody up on the phone and say, hey, come on down and see this, you know. So, and besides that, we didn't have cell phones or anything in those days. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a to totally different world. We were hardly, ever, we were hardly even using computers, um, much, much less cell phones. And uh, from there, I went to uh, Kesterson National Wildlife Refuge. And uh, I actually had a, a, a good 
gig at Kesterson because it was after all of the Kesterson uh, controversy. I don't know if you're familiar. You know, it was a lot of poisoning of of, of uh, waterfowls. Oh, uh, it, it it was all about uh, selenium, mm. selenium poisoning in, in the Central Valley, actually the San Joaquin Valley of uh, California, and and fr- as a result of all the lawsuits and, and settlements, you know, uh, we went to a, a process of purchasing lands, adjacent lands, and developing them for wetlands. And so I, okay. my, and so I had I had a good part of the, that gig, and then from there I went to Kern National Wildlife Refuge. I was only there for a year. I was there for a very short period of time and uh, was invited to move to uh, Stillwater, Nevada, Stillwater National Wildlife Refuge, Fallon, Nevada. And I said, yeah, I'll go do that. And I did that for several, uh, several years and then moved to uh, Othello, Washington and, and became, you know, the manager there at uh, Columbia National Wildlife Refuge. Sure. Which, uh, Although the, the, the crane festival had been in existence, um, it was kind of kind of floundering a little bit. And uh, and and I, I played a pretty good role along with uh, Dick. And I can't remember Dick's last name. He was the head of the water district there mm-hmm. in, in Fallon. He and I teamed up and, and pretty much just made that festival a lot better than it ever was and uh, and to me i always looked at that as kind of a feather in the cap you know to be able to bring that festival to the to the point that it got to um and then after uh othello i moved over to ridgefield and became the the uh, manager at ridgefield in all the gorge refuges and uh was there for a while and and basically was then when i was there was basically just trying to develop infrastructure, believe it or not. Hardly had anything to do with really with uh, with uh, wildlife. It was mostly trying to get bridges and buildings. Okay. And, and if you and if you ever read any any of this information nowadays, like this year, mm-hmm. um, you'll see that we actually have some of those bridges and some of those and the buildings are being built. I noticed that when I, I went down the last years, time. And I wasn't the only manager that actually worked on it, trying to get this. You know, there was managers before me who did this and managers behind me that did this. And so I was there for a while. And then I actually moved into the uh, regional office and I became the uh, uh, refuge supervisor for all the refugees in Idaho, Oregon, and uh, Washington. And so that's when I, I retired out of that job. Cool. And, and haven't looked back. <laughs> no, good for you. Well, that sounds like quite a career. You were kind of a fast track sort of guy in the fish and wildlife, it sounds like. I mean, going from kind of a entry level sort of position to manager, assistant manager, manager, and then a district manager. So that's a nice career. Yeah, that's kind of the way my, the, the career series that I was in, that was kind of the way it was in those days. It's much different now. Uh, they, don't, they don't move around as much, which is kind of nice. For the for the children who, mm-hmm. who are by by the parent, but uh, but yeah, that was the way it was. If you wanted to, uh, you know, move up in the in the ladder, like you said, you pretty much had to move. I mean, that was just basically the way it was. So they created that atmosphere, yeah, the moving around. Set up just almost like the both corporate America and military exactly. uh, uh, yeah. career paths. Yeah, I was never in the military, but people that, that I talked to who was in the military and who also were in the series I was in, they said that's what it was like. It was just like being in the military. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've, uh, you know, one of the ways that I know you is from our little interactions on the WASP board for a year or so. Yes. I think our terms overlapped. And I always was uh, kind of, uh, you know, marveled a little bit at your, you just seem to have an idea of how projects should run and, and, organizing things seem to be, you know, in your, in your game, you know, you could do that sort of thing. And I was like, wow, I could never do that. I, 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 you know, I hired people to do that kind of thing. I never, never managed anything in my life. I I was, I was, uh, uh, what's the old saying in in my career? I was a jack of all trades, but not good at any, anything or something Mm -hmm. like that. There's, there's a saying like jack of all trades, master of none, I think is how there you go. That that. is correct. That is it right there. And that's pretty much describes, you know, the way we work because we are problem solvers, really. That's that's why the government moved us around the way they moved us around. Um, they had this ideology that, you know, we're going to gain all this experience from different places 
And when we're put into a position of having to make a decision on something that hopefully we learned Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we can make a a, a correct decision or at least the best decision possible. I don't know if there's such a thing as a correct one. It sounds like uh, it it worked pretty well for you. So that's really good. Give Give me some examples of some of your favorite things, but Actually, before we go there, I, yeah. I have not been to the Othello Sandhill Crane Festival. I have to say yes. it's it's a uh, you know it's it's just a, a ways over to Othello from Tacoma, and there's so much going on in birding at that time of year and everything. Yeah. And I just never never have made it. What's that festival like? It sounds like a you know something I need to do. Yeah, yeah, and bas- basically, what uh, to give you some real brief history, uh, um, you know, that's obviously an agricultural town. Uh, agricultural area mm-hmm. and uh, sandhill cranes discovered that uh, they discovered all this agriculture and corn uh, being grown and they started using it as a staging area as they were going you know back to the the breeding grounds and so people started noticing that uh, randy hill uh, you know randy sure um, he is actually one of the first i think he might even be the person that started kind of like getting people interested in these sandhill cranes were showing up. Uh, I think he was taking college uh, classes out uh, and talking about sandhill cranes. And from that, the, the, the Othello Sandhill Crane Festival kind of took hold. And it kind of, like I say, it, it moved along for a little while. Um, and, and, and nowadays, basically what it is, is that it's people coming to see tens of thousands of cranes in a small area, uh, we have children's activities happen. So you have children who from the area come in and they do uh, craft type stuff, uh, educational type stuff around wildlife and cranes, mostly cranes. Uh, we also have a uh, lecture series. Um, and, you know, I'm, I was trying to remember, I may be off a little bit, but I don't think I'm off too much. It would be about uh, 40, roughly about 40 lectures over a weekend. Wow. Uh, and, and, and there would be maybe some of those would, would be uh, the same, not counting them in the 40, but they, they would all actually happen more than once. And mm-hmm. so a person could come to, uh, to that festival and pretty much spend a whole day going from one lecture to the next and learning about all kinds of wildlife. Uh, uh, a lot of things happening with uh, endangered species, sandhill cranes. We even got into uh, trying to educate people about what, what the agriculture was in the area, you know, because uh, we were partners with the, uh, with the agricultural community in this venture. And of course we took people out on buses and went and saw the cranes. Um, and we had an annual dinner. There would be a dinner and a, a keynote speaker. Um, we would have uh, uh, Friday speakers, uh, Friday night speakers before it. And so it was, it was actually quite a deal. It would, I can't even remember what some of the numbers that used to come in. Now they still do as far as I, I know. Uh, I haven't been to one for several years, unfortunately. But it was in the thousands. I mean, the, the, the town got overloaded. I know that. Very because, cool. Yeah, and so it was. It was. It was good. Uh, it was good. Good uh, tourism, nature tourism for for that part of the country. And you know when these kinds of things work. Uh, and I knew when it first worked when I was walking on a sidewalk, had my uniform on, mm-hmm. and I was wa- I was walking on the sidewalk uh, back to my office from someplace, mm-hmm. and some truck, some truck, you know, you could tell it was a farmer's truck. He comes pulling up real fast and he slams on the brake, pulls over and rolls down the window and he goes, are the cranes back in yet? And I, you know, we had the conversation. I can't remember what it was, but I'll never forget that when he drove off, I thought, okay, we did it. Yeah. The real locals knew all about it. Yep. And they were, they accepted it. So very nice. But anyway, yeah, that, that, uh, that's what the Sandhill Crane Festival is all about. Cool. Cool. Sounds like a, a, a destination thing. I can't, as soon as, uh, oh, yeah. you know, I feel safe getting together with a whole bunch of people again, I'm going to hit that festival up. Sounds perfect. Yeah. So Bob, uh, give me some other highlights of your career. You've sounds like you've, uh, I, I mean, you've, you know, even just the, 
the uh, uh, the two places in Washington that you had big jobs at the uh, the Ridgefield and uh, I'm blanking on the name of that oh, Columbia, Columbia. The Columbia Columbia National Wildlife those are fabulous places uh, so you you've had to have some uh, some good birding stories from those places um, yeah uh, yeah I would think so you know probably um, surprisingly you know at Bassett Park uh, sure and in uh, Washtucna. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved from Nevada, you know, when we lived in Nevada, we did desert birding. I mean, it was desert birding. You looked for, you know, the small green patch and that's where you went to because that's where the birds were. Right. And, and when I moved to Othello, you know, uh, it didn't take me long to start looking around going like, where's people bird around here? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can't even remember who it does, who wrote an article, and I think it might have been even in a wasp uh, uh, product. Mm-hmm. And it was about this place called Bassett Park, mm-hmm. and uh, and it didn't take me long. I thought, okay, I'm going to get right on out there, and I did, and of course found this oasis of of uh, you know Bassett Park and and birded it pretty hard. And uh, I think people know a lot more about it because of that today than, than uh, you know, or at least back then, I should say, than, than uh, they would have, you know. And it was all because of some guy from Nevada who all thought about, you know, doing this desert birding out yeah. in Washington. The place is supposed to rain. Look for the little green patch. Yeah. 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 They don't, they don't know that Eastern Washington really is nothing more than a dry desert. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We have two different states here, the dry side and the, and the wet side. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, what were some of you good finds at, uh, at Washtuck? Oh, I've got a lot of, a lot of stuff I've seen at Washtuck. I mean, I've got one heck of a list. Um, yeah. So I've seen 267 species in, in the County. Wow. Uh, most of those, most of those probably Washtuck, you know, because <laughs> I mean, there's not much out there. Yeah, you know, Othello itself was uh, is is a bit of an oasis, but uh, it is more spread out. But because of because Washtucna and Bassett Park is so such a small area, it was easy to pick up birds because they were more concentrated. That makes sense, right? Right. And we've we've all seen that um, here on the west side. When I moved over here, I was like, "Oh my God, where I look, it's like habitats everywhere." <laughs> and <laughs> and we know all... about that too, don't we? <laughs> Yeah, large parts of it are the same. Anyway, uh, so uh, you you served as the president of WAS. Tell me what uh, what you've done with WAS. I've never been a president. Of you you haven't, I guess. Somehow no. I thought you had. What I've roles only, have I've only been board board member. That's all. And I've done I've done two different periods of time, and I think and I'm I'm stretching my memory here. The first time I did it, I think I only did one mm-hmm. tour. The okay. second, last time I did two. Yeah, somehow I think I thought you were present because you're really active in one of the conferences. <laughs> that was, the, oh, no, that yeah, was got, always the president who did that. Yeah, 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 that happened. Yeah, you, you did the hard work. For being the president is a modest amount of work. Uh, being in charge of one of the conference conventions, that's, that's a bigger deal. Right. Wh- which convention did you uh, head up? Um. Actually, I just did the field trips. Oh, uh, okay. Never, I never really, I never really fed, you know, led a, or, or led it totally. I pretty okay. much just did field trips, and I would organize field trips and stuff like that. Now, let's see. The last time I did that was uh, Moses Moses Lake. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Kind of near your old stomping grounds. That's probably one of the reasons, right? <laughs> probably, probably not unrelated. Now, Bob, yeah. where do you li- where do you live now? Um. Well, I live in Ridgefield. Uh, okay. Well, I don't really live in Ridgefield proper. Uh, I live, uh, but close. I have a Ridgefield address. Okay. Do you still get out to the refuge quite a bit? No, not as much as I'd like, but yes. You know, I try I try to go, um, I don't know, maybe once a week or something. That's like that. pretty, pretty regularly. Yeah. What, are some, what are some of your favorite birding places down in that area? In, oh, well... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty structured area. You know, you got, you got the tour loop. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so uh, uh, that's, that's where, you know, most, most of the birding's done. 
probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a walking trail uh, on River S, but you also have a kind of a semi walking trail on the Cardi unit, which is mm-hmm. the one where the office is at. Right. Uh, that round. And you were asking me, you know, my favorites and taking the trail off the Cardi and heading towards Lake River and then, and then uh, moving north from there, uh, you get into some habitat and some country that not very many people go to. Um, it's, it's just fantastic. Great habitat. You know, and to me, that's, that's my favorite spot on the refuge. Yeah, I've, I've wandered around on that, that other unit a few times, but never really knew where the heck I was going. Just kind of yeah, follow yeah, trails, follow trails here and there. there. Yeah, there's one trail that's uh, pretty structured, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, that, that, that area is kind of like a no man's land. Mm-hmm. We've actually done search and rescues on there, believe it or not. Oh, People I can get, believe it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Bob, you've, uh, you've been at, gosh, it was quite a list of parts of the country. You've heard at the Southeast and various yeah. parts of California and, and Western parts. Have you, besides your uh, being stationed at some pretty fabulous places for birding, have you traveled around the country much birding otherwise? Probably the, the two states that I've done most. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. Two states that I've probably traveled to the most to bird. Uh, away from working uh, would be Texas and Arizona. Um, I actually know Arizona quite well. Um, it, it's changed quite a bit, I'm sure, uh, since the days that I used to do it a lot. But uh, but yeah, I, I love birding Arizona and Texas. To me, that's that's places to go. And so, to answer your question, yeah, that's although I, although I get around, um, I just did a a real quick swing around trip around parts of the Southwest to, to pick up uh, like I went to the Gunnison, Colorado, drove to Gunnison, Colorado and, uh-huh. Gunnison, you know, sage grouse, never seen that before. And then I dropped down to Texas and I ended up getting the uh, Vireo because I hadn't had the Vireo yet. Mm-hmm. So I had to do that. And then I dropped over to Arizona and picked up the Hakana that was there. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, and I can't, I can't remember the little slew that was on, but uh, there out of phoenix mm-hmm. and then uh and then i went uh let's see where did i go from there i just kind of traveled my way back up through the side of, of nevada and then back home and i think nice. i spent like uh, 10 days just driving driving Very nice. yeah good sounds like a really you did that in uh early spring probably yeah I figured with a Gunnison sage grouse, that would probably need to be in March or April. Yeah, that was, and, uh, you know, that's, that is such a nice little uh, deal they have down there at, at uh, Gunnison. You know, they, it's a, it's a university kind of runs it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a state program, the university runs it and you, you have to sign up for it. Uh, and you have to pay like a, uh, it's, it's a really nominal fee. Like, you know, it's like 10 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you are like one of five cars that morning that's mm-hmm. allowed. And you go and a young gentleman, uh, at least a gentleman was there when I was there. And he, uh, he stay in the car, can't get out of the car. Mm-hmm. And he sets up a scope. He finds the birds. And then he comes to the cars and he'll tell you where they're at. Or you can get out of the car very quietly and go over and look through the scope at them. And so it was, it was quite neat, but the best thing that happened, it was unreal because they were, it was like looking down into this pasture area with a lot of willows mm-hmm. and you could see the birds down there. And I mean, the views were, were, were okay um, from the car with my scope. And, uh, and then the, several of the birds moved up onto this ridge Oh, and the ridge was facing to the east. So the sun was coming up Oh, nice. and there was one sage grouse right on the edge of this rim and he's up there full fan strutting and the sun started coming up and the sun rays went right through his feathers and oh nice it was an unreal unreal i always tell people me and my family mostly that there's these death visions that you will always remember we've Mm -hmm. got them through for sure we're probably on our deathbeds or somewhere in there. We're probably going to remember this stuff. 
And I think that is going to be one of them that I'm going to remember. Because it was pretty awesome. I mean, it glowed. It looked like a light bulb up there. And it was pretty cool. So anybody who hasn't done that, hasn't gone and seen the uh, Gunnison Sage Grouse, it's easy. Get online. Uh, gonna, just look Gunnison Sage Grouse and go do that. It, it's worth the trip. Bob, my, my story for the Gunnison Sage Grouse is not quite as happy. Uh, my, my late wife, Kay, and Ken Brown and I did a did a uh, you know fancy chicken trip in, in Colorado in uh and I think it's the middle of March and we uh we drove over the there's that really high pass I don't remember what it's called but it's like a highest pass in the in the Rockies that's open year round we drove over there we got to Gunnison and we had signed up for the exact same thing as you they had a like a trailer they used as a blind when I was there so it was, it was a few years ago so it's a little bit different but uh, we got up and we paid a little fee and we got in with a guy and there was just a handful of us there. And it was really, really, really cold. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I don't even know what it was, but it was ridiculously cold. And we wait. In the it dark was very for, cold. We wait in the dark for a long time and we wait for like two hours and not a bird showed. <laughs> it's just <laughs> so we com completely missed on the birds. But it was it was interesting experience. But. Not the same uh, as seeing them like you did. Anyway, uh, so uh, that that sounds like you had a terrific, uh, terrific round loop trip, Bob. Uh, I'm I'm uh, really happy for you. Uh, have you uh, birded the Northeast at all? Actually, you know, the Northeast is the one spot that I need to bird more of. You know, I went up one time up to uh, New Jersey. I'm pretty sure it was mm -hmm. New Jersey not New York, it was New Jersey, with Randy Hill one time, and we went and got the uh, great cormorant on the uh, Audubon December mm -hmm. trip. And okay. They that every year, I think they still do. And we ended up getting the, the great cormorant up there. Mm -hmm. um, but that's pretty been pretty much it for me. Uh, and as much traveling as I've done, not just, well, going out to bird, but because of my work. Sure. It's surprising that I haven't spent more time in the Northeast. Well, I grew up in Maine, and... Uh... I've got uh -huh. to, uh, so I've spent a lot of time in the Northeast, but most of it was before I didn't start birding until I was about 30. Uh, and so most of it was before I was birding. I've lived out here ever since then and just gone back to visit. And most of my visits are, you know, July or August, not the, not the best time for birding, beginning of fall migration, but not, uh, not as good as I need to go. So I need to spend a little more time back with my old uh, family back there and uh, catch some birding in other times of year. Yeah. Yeah. For me, you know, to be honest with you, you know, my, my, uh, you know, mo most of my, my birding life has really been good because of all the places I've lived. I for mean, sure. you know, Florida, I mean, think about this, you know, well, I went to Humboldt. That's oh, wow. actually, that's really where my, my birding career really kind of took off because, well, before that, when I was, I was a youth, I would always go hunting, uh, uh, with my family and I'm mm -hmm. talking about all, an extended family. I'm talking about uncles, cousins, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We were always, we always hunted in big groups. And, uh, I was always the guy who always, they would go, Oh, look, there's, there's the, the white crane. I say, no, that's, that's an egret. <laughs> you know, and they'd look at me, you know, Oh, there's an eagle. No, that's a red tail, you know? And I would always be correcting them. And they're always kind of looking at me. Right. And, and, uh, and it was kind of about then I started saying, you know, actually, you know, I kind of like birds, I guess, you know, I, I kind of know them. I have this knowledge that apparently nobody else has got. So that's how I actually started, uh, uh, you know, becoming interested in, in, uh, uh, birds per mm -hmm. se, you know, and then, uh, and then I was lucky when I was in high school, I had a teacher, uh, uh, we called him Coach Gilbert. I can't even remember his first name. It was Mr. Gilbert. Um, and he had a, they had a three-year science program at the high school. And it was all natural resources. And one of them was, uh, of course, waterfowl. Mm -hmm. And I learned my waterfowl really well. I mean, well enough that he was so impressed that he introduced me to a guy named uh, Max Knox, who was the... Uh, the biologist for uh, that part of California, um, the regional biologist, and he ended up uh, hiring me to, uh, or didn't hire me, he ended up uh, uh, having me come to 
um, Delavan National Wildlife Refuge as a volunteer when I was in high school. So I'd t- on my weekends, I'd go to Delavan National Wildlife Refuge and check birds. Oh, nice. I knew my birds. And he was so impressed that I knew my birds, my waterfowl, you know, as good, if not better, actually, than uh, some of his students that he, he had from Humboldt. That he told me that when I graduated from high school, to make sure to come back and get a job. And, you know, of course, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And uh, it wasn't too much longer after I graduated from high school. And all of a sudden he calls me and says, hey, didn't I tell you to call me? And I'm like, this guy's serious. And that's how, that's how I started my career in wildlife. And uh, he, I, I worked at Delavan National Wildlife Refuge for three seasons, three winters, and went to school at the same time, mm-hmm. um, working uh, 40 hours of the, in three days. And, I, and just honing my waterfowl. And just to this day, I, I probably know waterfowl better than any uh, group of birds. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's a skill that also helped because I was a hunter. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it all, it all comes together. Um, Doc Harris at Humboldt State University was probably the most instrumental person to get me into birding. Uh, he was the guy who ran pretty much the ornithology courses at Humboldt. And uh, when I went to Humboldt, I discovered that, holy cow, there's a whole bunch of people that know, that like birds just like me. I The first time I'd ever run into other people, groups of people, who actually had an interest like that. And so from there, it just blew up. And that's when it kind of took off for me, is uh, when I got into college and, and, and actually ran into people who were like me, liked birds, and liked to go watch them. And uh, I was lucky, went to Florida and, uh, you know, got to bird, uh, got to be really good friends with uh, Paul Sykes, you know, and uh, Howard uh, Langford and uh, Brian Hope. Brian and I, he was an English guy. He, he and I were big buddies. We were, we were kind of uh, anti-listers back in those days. Uh, <laughs> we did not list and, and we looked at disdain at people who did. Um, it wasn't until later when... Uh, Computers became much more common, and Avisys came out. Yeah, and the Avisys program, and matter of fact, I have it right now. It's on my computer right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was looking up the Blackburnian, and I didn't see it. So, so, but anyway, uh, uh, it wasn't until then that I actually became a lister. When all of a sudden I could just touch a button, and all these lists started popping up. And oh, I've seen this many birds at this spot. Oh, I've seen this many birds at this spot. And so, yeah, that's that kind of got me going. Um, but what really got me interested in listing was uh, when I worked in Nevada. Uh, and I got to, to birding with guys like Larry Neal and Graham Chisholm. Uh, Larry Neal was, was a non-game biologist uh, for the state. Mm-hmm. And uh, Graham Chisholm was with the Nature Conservancy. I think he's the head. He's pretty high in the structure in California, Nature Conservancy. John Brock, you know, and uh, with those guys, we worked on, as, as I had mentioned once before, you know, uh, we got the Atlas going, um, you know, which I was pretty instrumental in getting the kind of the seed money to get that Atlas going. And then uh, partnering up with a lot of other uh, people, state people and other federal agencies getting the, the Great Basin Bird Observatory started so that we could get the organization to do the atlas see they're mm-hmm. the hand. yeah needed one for the other so bob so tell that, me tell me about those two things both the uh the great basin bird observatory oh. and the nevada breeding bird atlas yeah so basically when i when i was at stillwater i was approached by uh the the non-game uh coordinator for fish and wildlife service for that region which would have been here in portland uh the regional office and she basically said, you know, in Nevada, they have no atlas. We have no idea what bird populations are. We have no zero information on Nevada. And I'm like, oh, she goes, we would like to get an atlas project started. Can you help? I said, absolutely. And so basically, uh, you know, she supplied the, the seed money and we started working Um you know, Larry Neal uh, was pretty instrumental uh, with the state at that time. He and I sitting there trying to figure out how in the heck are we going to get this thing going? We knew we had to have people, but we just didn't know how we were going to do this. 
And so we started organizing, um, you know, the Bureau of Reclamation down in, in uh, Southern Nevada were instrumental in supplying money for this. They, they actually probably saved our butts on this whole project. And, uh, and we slowly but surely developed this Great Basin Bird Observatory out of the Reno, uh, what is that, University of Reno? Is that right? University of Reno? I think so. Yeah. And so anyway, uh, that's where it's housed. And uh, it's still in existence. Uh, they still do projects um, all across that state and elsewhere. That was, that was actually a, a, a pretty cool project to work on. Because, you know, you can, you can, see, you can, see, the, you can see something comes from it. Um, so it's, it's very nice. Breeding bird atlases are way cool projects uh, oh, require. Yeah. I mean, it's how fun. many volunteers does it take? I can't, it must take oh, dozens had, and dozens and dozens. Oh, no, no, we had an army because, uh, you know, Nevada's not a small state. For sure. Uh, probably probably one of the, the most interesting uh, things that happened out of the atlas in Nevada is that a group of us, matter of fact, just about everybody I've named, I think, um, we actually were allowed to go on Area 51. Oh, wow. And, and survey area 51. That was quite a story. Um, we, we showed up and they took us to this room. They, they the military, mm -hmm. took us to this room. And they went through all these rules. We couldn't tell anybody what we'd seen or else we could be, you know, sent to prison and blah, blah, blah. You know, they're telling <laughs> all this kind of stuff. And it was the funniest thing in the world. And they, they said, uh, they said, you can stay here. We, they housed us at the, uh, the uh, officers' quarters, but the, mm -hmm. the officers' quarters were empty, and we—I don't know why. But uh, I mean, my gosh, you go to the refrigerator and open it up. There's always booze and everything. And, uh, they said they told us just go ahead and help yourself to whatever you want, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then it was kind of funny because every morning before we started our surveys, we had to meet up with this security group, mm -hmm. and they'd always say, "At eight fifteen, don't look off to the southeast." <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I'm not joking. And we're all like, looking at we're like what? So you immediately look off to the Southeast. <laughs> well, and, and the other interesting thing about that whole thing is that we each had a person who walked with us. From the really? Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't pick up anything. They said, they said, you absolutely don't pick up anything off the ground, uh, which we almost got kicked off the first day because one of the guys who was with us, I don't know what he was thinking reached down, picked up some, it was metal. I can't even remember what it was and, uh, and carried it back. I couldn't, that I couldn't <laughs> understand either. And, uh, and showed it to him and said, what is this? And we're all, we're all going like, what, what are you doing? Get, get us kicked off this place. And they, they let us stay, but that was kind of cool. Did uh, you find any, was, did you find any uh, extraterrestrials? No, didn't see, I didn't ever saw anything interesting. And yes, you're right. You know, at, at 815, we're all looking out from the South. You know, kind of looking at southeast, whatever, whatever <laughs> goes not to. I I mean, how I, can you not? They say, make sure you don't look in this place at this time. You just, oh, yeah. you just your we, eyes are just drawn to it. And we were all joking because we're all going like, yeah, it was probably really the opposite direction we should have been looking. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it, but it was it was fun, it, and then that was probably that was probably one of the most interesting things that. Uh, that that for me anyway personally came out of out of that atlas project is being able to go there because not many people have been on that place no and, and no. let us to let us just a bunch of birders go on there to, to do the, the the atlas survey was pretty good of them. It, it was pretty good bob what's left for you you said you need to get back to the northeast a little more what other uh, places are in your birding dreams uh you know you've got your retirement ahead of you alaska. alaska okay i have yeah never Alaska. So this is a kid who was growing up, who always who said, "I'm I'm going to become a biologist. I'm going to Alaska, and I'm never coming back." And that was my dream, and I've never been to Alaska. Well, it sounds like it's doable. Make it happen. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I need I need to do that trip. <laughs> yeah. I've only been to Alaska once. I think it was 1997 or 19, 1993, I think I went to Alaska. Ken Brown and I, and did you know Bob and Georgia Ramsey? Bob and Georgia Ramsey yeah. were big active in those days. And Tony Croha and a couple of, uh, couple of women went with us. And uh, so 17 days, 
in a seven passenger oh. minivan driving all over the place. Wow. It's just, we were very cozy uh, in that van, seven of us with our luggage. Uh, and we went to, oh, just a fabulous trip. Went, went down the Kenai Peninsula, went to uh, Homer and got a little boat ride out of Homer and went up to Nome, flew up to Nome and spent four or five days in Nome at the summer solstice, spent the, the longest day of the year in, in Nome. And it was a fabulous, fabulous trip. But yeah, I've not been back. I still am dying to get back. So, you know, a little, little, just this, this little side note. So, you know, the uh, little island named Hatchu. Yeah, little island named Hatchu. Yes, I've little, heard of little, it. Little island named Hatchu. Anyway, I'm, I'm in college and I got offered a job to go shoot foxes on Hatchu for, oh. for, for the Aleutian Canada Goose Project. And you turned it down. Well, what happened was, is that it was a one year, pro- it was a one year job offer. Oh. And I got a three-year job offer to do black bear uh, study in the Trinities. <laughs> but ever since then, as a birder, I've always sat there and thought, man, what could I have seen? Really? If I had gone, especially if I had gone for more than a season. Would you have been up for, for, for a whole year, cons- a consecutive year? No, no, I would have only been up there for the, for the summer months. Oh, okay. But still, so, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so that would have been like June to September. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yes. well, your life list would be uh, thirty birds longer, probably, and oh, 30, sure. thirty really freaking good birds longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. no doubt. Your, your no list doubt. of your list of eiders and uh, alcids would be considerably bigger. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, so uh, Alaska's on your radar. Where else? Um, well, like we were talking about the Northeast. And, and believe it or not, uh, uh, one place, and you can laugh at this, maybe other people might last, laugh too. Um, I want, I need to go to Illinois and get the uh, Eurasian uh, sparrow. Okay. Yeah. Isn't it I, Illinois? I, yeah. My, my dad died about eight or nine years ago, and I inherited a, a car. It was a beautiful car. It's a Lincoln, some letter MKX or something. I don't know, but it was an all-wheel drive, big sedan that he had bought himself a few years before he died. It had like 10,000 miles because he couldn't really drive much after he bought it. And it was just a beautiful car. And, and Kay and I uh, drove back from, uh, May, from the funeral in Maine to Washington with that car. And uh, I had been three or four trips across the north, you know, I, I pretty much new Route 90 and 94. You know, I'd seen those a number of times and had been in the south a little bit, but I'd never been across the middle, you know, Highway 70 kind of across the middle. And, and yeah, I, I convinced Kay that even though it was September, that would be the that would be the, the route to take, maybe even August. That would be the route to take. And it was wickedly, wickedly hot the whole way. But one of the highlights of the trip was... Uh, St. Louis and the Illinois Basin and the Illinois River Basin. And we got our we got our Eurasian trees fall uh, sparrows. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. I got I got to go do that. You know, I mean, it, and it sounds so ridiculous too because you know it's you know one little bird is you know an introduced species, but you know what? It's, it's on my it's, mind. It's a nice place to bird. It re- it's good birding around there. Yeah, actually, uh, it, we we had a lot of fun. We stopped at a, a couple of uh, nice refuges right on the Illinois River. It was just beautiful. Yeah, I'll make it up there to do that. Um, I'm sure it'll become more and more of an emphasis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good for you. Good for you. So you've gone over to the dark side of listing. I can see. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah big Very, time. very nice. Know, I, I don't, I, don't, I don't keep a state list. I don't keep a state list, but I, I'm, I'm really big on county lists. Oh, yeah. Uh, counties I live in. Mm-hmm. I'm just now, uh, I just started about three years ago doing the uh, 100 thing, you know, 100 species in each county for the state. I, I'm doing the same thing. I'm trying. I still you know, got a few left to go. Me too. I got, I got a couple of counties that I need to clean up uh, and, and I'll get that done. What's, um, left, what's left for you? Maybe we can team up on a county. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, island, island, island. Is okay, uh, yeah, is, is one that I need, and then uh, what is it? The one way up on the there's one up in the northeast. Is it ferry? It might be. I'm thinking it's ferry, but I'm I, I I'm not sure about that. I think ferry, it might be. F- ferry is that one that there's just hardly any reason to go. There's a Sampoil River Valley, which is beautiful, but that's just you know it's 
you get the breeding birds in the summer, but except for that one place, one time, there's hardly any reason to go to that county for birding unless you want 100 species. And it's a heck of a drive. <laughs> it, it's way the heck over there. It's way the heck over there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I, let's see, I think, uh, believe it or not, Skagit. I still need some birds in Skagit mm -hmm. and Jefferson. Okay. Uh, well, those are, Jeff, yeah, come on up yeah, and we'll, we'll, uh, we, uh, I've got a spare bedroom. Come up. We'll take a, a day or two and uh, bird each of those counties. You can do them oh. on a day, day trip from where I live. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's good. I need, I still need some South uh, Columbia River counties. I uh, think I'm a bird or two short of 100 in, in Skamania. Somehow oh. I have a heck of a time finding birds in Skamania. I, I, I think I was the wrong, always there at the wrong time of year. Uh, and yeah. then, and then over by Whitman and uh, yep. Columbia and those yep. those counties that are, yep. they're a long so, ways from where I live. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. If you want to uh, do a, do a Scamania, yeah, let me know. I'll, I'll hit you up for that sometime. That'd be good. Yep. Good. Bob, uh, I, I always give my guests a chance to give a shout out to a cause or something they want people to know about. Is there a cause or some uh, conservation effort or anything like that that you uh, want to give a shout out to for people to know about? Yeah, I'll, I'll be a little bit, uh, you know, uh, uh, local. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were talking about uh, Ridgefield National Wildlife Refuge. Mm -hmm. And and the fact that that uh, we you know we're just now getting some of the buildings so for for that area so we're get we're getting a a vis a uh, an office building mm -hmm. uh, built right now but really what that refuge needs as well is a uh, a visitor center oh and we're talking we're talking about Ridgefield National Wildlife Refuge that gets how many people I mean oh, huge just, just think of just think of the photographers alone. On, mm -hmm. on River S sometimes it's just mind-boggling a pain in the ass to be truthful with you um, because there's so many of them um, but it's a thing to see uh, and, and this area is just booming like crazy and uh, we need you know our conservation-minded people to be talking to their uh, elected officials about you know why hasn't Ridgefield National Wildlife Refuge gotten a visitor center there is well, there's just there's just no reason. I, I just, it's been, yeah. it, it dumbfounded me when, uh, through the, through the entire time I was there at one time, he even had the money for it and then it got pulled away by Congress. Mm. Um, uh, why we haven't had one here. If there's any, any refuge in the Pacific Northwest that deserves to have a visitor center, it's Ridgefield. I don't disagree. I think you're right on. Well, I'm going to, uh, after we uh, wrap up a recording, I'm going to, hit you up for ideas of how right in the podcast notes and in the blog post I put along with this, I will uh, get uh, easy contact information for those officials. So listeners can look them up and write those letters right away. You got it. <laughs> good. Good. Well, Bob, uh, thanks so much for being my guest today. I appreciate it. Always fun to talk to a local birder and some good stories from you. So thanks so much. You bet. Had, had a great time. Thank you. Yeah. Take care now. Bye-bye. Okay. See ya. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner Podcast number 120 with Bob Flores. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I had a really fun time getting to know Bob and talking to him on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it too. I want to make sure that in the podcast notes, I put a link to the Washington State Senators and Representative, who are the people of you to get a call of, to encourage them to help get a visitor's center at the Ridgefield National Wildlife Refuge. Bob's right. That's something that that refuge deserves and the people who go there deserve. So write them a letter. The links to the links to how to contact the representatives and senators are in the podcast notes, and I'll put them in the blog posts associated with this episode. Uh, I also will put links to a lot of the refuges that Bob worked on and some of the things we talked about in the podcast notes and in the blog post associated with it. So check out birdbanner.com for that blog post. And until next time, thanks for listening. Good birding. Good day.